Welcome to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast. I'm your host, Evan Uitake, and I'm so excited that you've tuned in. Our mission is focused on connecting, developing, and inspiring young business leaders to find and pursue their purpose. This podcast is sponsored by Trost Marketing. Promoting your business through marketing is essential for growth. Without marketing, you lack the ability to create a conversation with your potential customers. At Trost Marketing, we provide marketing solutions that fuel growth. We are your source for all of your printing needs, as well as branded apparel and promotional items. If your business wants to stand out to potential customers, contact the marketing experts at Trost Marketing. Visit us at trostmarketing.com or call us at 866-492-7820. Young business leaders, welcome to the YBT Podcast. I'm your host, Evan Utaki, and I want to welcome you to podcast number 109. A little late getting this one to you just because of the Thanksgiving holiday, but I'm really excited because uh, this is a guest that was actually recommended to me by John G. Miller. If you uh, remember back to podcast 100, and I think uh, a podcast even further beyond there, we talked to John about the question behind the question, and uh, we were just kind of going through some of the principles of it, how it's applied in different real world situations, because I think we always go through like uh, books that we read and everything else and they lay out these examples but then it's like oh well that's great in that situation but how does that apply to my real life and, and everything that's going on in my world and so it was nice to revisit with him on some of those things that we talked about uh in the original qbq discussion and and after that podcast he came back to me and said hey there's a couple people that i want you to talk to uh in addition to uh what we've talked about here one was his daughter uh kristen lindine which was on a previous podcast and the other is David Levin. And he's the co-author of uh, The Question Behind the Question. He actually has a different book that he wrote called Raising Your Inner Game, which I do want to talk about uh, with him today. That's why he's on the podcast. It's some really intriguing content that ties into some of the uh, the conversations we've had recently uh, about self-awareness and, and and those kinds of topics. So it almost gives us a little bit more of a framework. So uh, I'm going to give you guys a little bit of an intro on David, and then we'll uh, introduce him to you so uh, we can get into the podcast. In 1992, David Levin was a struggling singer-songwriter whose career and life were going nowhere. But then he had a strange, illuminating experience that totally changed the arc of his life. Four albums, five books, and 29 years of happy marriage later, he's condensed what he's learned into a simple, practical guide for how to be stronger mentally and emotionally so that you can do your best work and live a life you're proud of every day. David is the co-author of the million-selling book, QBQ, The Question Behind the Question, and author of Don't Just Talk, Be Heard, and the creator of the Focused Everyday Training Program. He is also a, an award-winning songwriter and recording artist and lives happily ever in Viroqua, Wisconsin, with his wife and two other children. David, welcome to the podcast. Say hello to the audience, and if you can, uh, tell them a little bit more about yourself. Evan, thanks. I'm happy to be with you. Well, that bio sums it up pretty well. Um, long time, lifelong singer-songwriter. That was actually my core self-identity up until, uh, gosh, even like 10 years ago. Um, the whole speaking training track kind of opened up on a parallel course when I met John Miller mm -hmm. back in the early, mid-90s. Yeah, so <laughs> I don't know what to add to that. Yeah. Um, you know, the last book, um, Raise Your Inner Game, is... The, the previous book you mentioned, Don't Just Talk, Be Heard, that grew out of my initial work with John. I joined John uh, more as a, a co-writer, mm -hmm. kind of a speaking coach, and that evolved into working with him on his books and uh, co-writing QBQ, and then two books since then. Um, the speaking track of my life grew out of that because QBQ was such a, you know, there was so much demand for that, that I ended up going out and speaking on QBQ when John wasn't available. Um, but this material, this Raise Your Inner Game material, is really the material that um, I've been wanting to share with people or, you know, first of all, kind of come up with and cl clarify and crystallize and then share with people. Um, gosh, it's been well back since 92. Actually, it was that experience you mentioned in the intro um, that started this whole thing for me. It was that, you know, my, as I mentioned, my life was really kind of slipping out of control. I, I kind of lost my identity and position. I was struggling. And it didn't necessarily look like that from the outside, but, mm -hmm. you know, from the inside, I really felt like things were, were uh, getting out of control and I had no idea how to stop it. Mm -hmm. And a, an extra little point that I don't mention in the intro of the book is that I'd been doing personal development stuff for most of my life up until then. I'd been, you know, I read the books, I did the Tony Robbins tapes, I'd been meditating since I was a teenager. I was trying all this stuff, 
-hmm. And it's typical kind of things that I think most people who are into personal development try. They read the books. Maybe they try meditation. They listen to audios. But my life was still getting out of control. It was just, it was just felt like it was going away. Not going away. That's that's not a good way to say it. <laughs> it was it was sort of a downhill trend. Yeah. I could tell things, you know, I was starting to put on weight. I'd never done that before. I was starting to pile up debt. I hadn't had that kind of trouble before. I'd lost my sense of identity with the music. So things were just getting worse and worse and worse. And I had no idea what was going to change that. But yeah. that insight I had on that moment in 92 turned the corner. It was the pivot point for everything. All those things we mentioned, the books, the albums, the 30 years of marriage, um, just a great life. Everything that I'm proud of in my life happened since that turn. And so and that's that, what the book is really trying to do. It's yeah. is to take what I learned from that and make it uh, applicable and accessible and a, a simple sort of system that people can take for themselves and make similar kind of changes in their lives. Absolutely. Well, I, I definitely want to jump into it, but I, I think it's important to to kind of double down on what you said. Uh, on the outside, it didn't look like things were not going well, but on the inside, there was that turmoil. There was that discomfort going on to where you're like, man, the things are not necessarily right. And I think that's uh, important for the audience to hear because a lot of times um, we don't share those things. I know, I know, I'm working on it through this podcast and through uh, just my leadership journey, being more transparent, being more vulnerable in those situations so that um, I have the right support groups. I have the right mentors around me that can kind of guide me through that. And I think, um, I think it's reassuring to hear that other people, especially people that we would deem successful now uh, recognize that there, there was that point. It's not just something where, Oh, well, it was easy for David to do this because yeah, he ran into John G Miller and they're just like, Hey, let's, let's ask deeper questions. And now we got a million selling book and like, everything's great. But I think it's important for people to realize that behind every story, there's a human and there's a human that's struggling, that's trying to figure out what their purpose is, trying to figure out what their place is in, in all of this. Um, but that is, that, that's unique to every single person, but what is universal to every single person is how you respond to it and what you, what actions that you take. You do have that choice to either continue down the path that you're going, or you have that choice to do something different about that and change something. And that's, I believe what kind of ties into the book here is taking a deeper look at uh, a method or a tool that can help you maybe reevaluate how things are are going in your life and some of the subconscious things, decisions that you're making uh, throughout the regular day and be more intentional with those things to start kind of resetting your path. Does that make sense? Absolutely. That was a super important point. We all have these same struggles mm -hmm. and, and your, in, your observation that we don't share them is just so, so true. They're, they're deep enough and they feel unique to us enough that we just assume they're ours and you know, they're sort of embarrassing and they're hard and we just don't talk about them. Um, but every story you hear anybody, no matter how you might define success, the story of how, you know, their life is going or how they got there. Uh, the struggle is it's a universal experience. It truly is. It's, it's innate in our experience as a human to have these kind of struggles. And I would even say, you know, you said the, the struggles are unique, but I would say the specifics of your struggle and my struggle mm -hmm. are unique. So what I mean is I, you know, might have a particular issue around, you know, being, uh, what am I trying to say? Being really affected by what other people think of me. Mm -hmm. So if I'm going to go speak or if I'm going to try and speak up in a meeting, I struggle with that big time. Mm -hmm. Somebody, you might not have that, mm -hmm. but the, but I've got struggles. <laughs> like yeah. if, you rate, if you ranked struggles on a scale of one to 10, I've got my eights and nines and tens, just like you do. We all have those deep, deep, deep questions about um, our value, our purpose, um, our credibility, our worth to others. You know, there's that, uh, another thing you hear a lot when you hear celebrities talk is, and I say celebrities in the, in the general term, um, is that imposter syndrome. You know, big successful entrepreneurs, artists, writers, they, another common thing is they all wake up now and then and think, oh my God, I have no idea what I'm doing. I'm an absolute fraud. People are going to find out. The most successful people, they all have those same struggles. And so it, it is super helpful to 
to understand that. Can I give you permission? Um, you know, there's plenty of things we beat ourselves up about, <laughs> which, which is part of that struggle. Um, but the fact that we have the struggle in the first place, that we feel these tensions and pressures and fears and insecurities, the fact that those exist, we should not let that be one more thing we beat ourselves up about. Those are just universal. Another thing I want to say, though, is that, um, you know, when I talk about raising your inner game and, you know, my story at 92 was I was struggling and then things turned around. Um, it's not that the struggles go away even. We all mm -hmm. have them and we all continue to have them. I still have the struggles I talked about then every single day. I have been doing this thing for the last few months now where on my podcast, um, David Levin show, I post a weekly journal and basically I just, it's an inner game journal and here's the struggles I've been having this last week. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I literally wrote the book on the subject. I've been doing, using these skills. I've been doing this stuff all my life and the struggle still continues every day. So the point is, and it's not that I'm not good at it, right? I mean, that's not the lesson. The lesson is that they never go away. In the book, I, mm -hmm. I, I kind of have a shorthand for all this inner struggle. I call it inner gravity. And just mm -hmm. like regular gravity, it never goes away. So don't let yourself think that that's going to be the goal, that if you're still feeling the struggle, you're failing or you're doing it wrong. The point isn't to no longer feel these struggles. It's no longer have them control you. It's to learn how to rise above them and continue to do the things you want to do and be the, the kind of person you want to be in spite of the struggle. Now, they do get easier. The more, Like you said, that self-awareness, the more you recognize what's actually happening, you can uh, avoid a lot of it. You can prevent. You can kind of short circuit some of those things before they take over. Um, mm -hmm. And when you do get pulled off track, you pull yourself back much more quickly. So the struggles aren't exactly the same in their intensity. But the fact that you have them, that's just the nature of life. So give yourself from permission to have the struggles in the first place and don't set a goal that you're going to somehow do some work and you're not going to feel that, that struggle anymore. You're going to feel it, but you're going to beat it when you learn how it works and you learn the skills to do that. Does that make sense? It does. And I love how you're talking about this, this journal, because I think what that does is it takes away some of the imagination part that you have behind it you're looking at the struggle itself and in your mind it's growing and growing and growing but when you get down on a piece of paper maybe it doesn't carry the same amount of weight as you thought it did just because you're able to better define it and say okay this is what it is this is what i'm struggling with but that doesn't necessarily mean that it's 10 11 steps down the road you're just looking at here's the problem here's here's the, here's what i'm dealing with and then when you're looking at it on paper, it's not near as intimidating as it is inside your brain. Super true. It's funny. It, it can go both ways too. I will uh, have times where I'm thinking like, oh, man, life is just, it's just a mess. It's just been a mess. It's just going to be a mess. I'll look back at my journal and I'll say, oh, you know what? It wasn't that bad. <laughs> it's just been a few days, <laughs> you know? Um, and conversely, there'll be some times when I'm thinking, man, things have been going great. I'm totally on top of it. I'll look back at my journal. And I'm like, oh no, oh, I remember now. Just last Saturday, that was a tough day. So it does, it gives you the perspective. It, it, it depersonalizes it. Like you said, it sort of takes the, it takes the extra imaginary weight out of it. Just like you said, and it really helps, yeah. especially because, you know, sort of by, by definition, almost, if you are actually journaling about your inner life, your inner game, um, just sort of by nature, the fact that you write it down, here's what I'm struggling with. The natural response to that is to have the impulse. Okay. What can I do about it? So, you know, you start to just naturally start to problem solve. Mm -hmm. And so not only are you getting that gained, that uh, fresh perspective, that it's not as bad as you thought, but you're also starting to get some ideas for how to make it better. Yeah. So I don't know how to completely explain the inner game um, <laughs> book. Um, so I, I definitely want to encourage people to read it and we'll, I'll leave a link in the description for, so that people can find it and get access to it. But there are some specific things I do want to kind of dive into a little bit based on kind of the, the conversation of uh, the inner game. So I'm going to try to explain it to you uh, based on how I interpreted it and then let me know if, if I'm on point and then I want to go a little bit deeper on it. Um, the inner game that you're talking about is um, is helping you to be better in charge of yourself. And so what you're doing is you're kind of giving yourself a visual representation of these different planes that you're on, these different levels. And you have this ability to 
uh, weave in and out of these levels based on uh, what is it like physical, emotional, um, and there's level four and there's one other one I can't think of off the top of my head. But there's all these different kind of planes and you do a really good job explaining which in, which each individual one is. And I think um, the the kind of mind opening thing for me on it was that there's these levels that you're in and there's an elevator that takes you uh, up and down and there's the inner gravity that you talked about. But you're separate from all of this. And I think that that's kind of one of the, the biggest things that I, as I was looking at as, is that I'm not my thoughts. I'm not my emotions. I'm not my body. And I know it, it sounds really deep when I say it, but if you kind of can take that step back and there's actually an exercise in the book where you're kind of doing this, um, this observation of the fact that you are separate from all of these things. And then you kind of use some examples a little further along the lines on how, how you're, when you're in your uh, physical state, like what that, what that is, but, uh, but, and then also how you can jump from physical to emotional to level four on, on back and forth. And so um, if I were to kind of try to synopsize all of that uh, is, is basically looking at this framework of, of all these things going on inside of you and identifying what it is and what they mean so that when you're in some of these other levels that you don't necessarily want to be when you obviously you want to attain that higher level which is that level four you can self-correct if you will to kind of move yourself out of these other levels that you're not as productive or you're not your best self in and work back towards the upper level because that's the level that you're going to be the most productive that's the the, you're going to be your most authentic self, most genuine self, most fulfilled self. And that's kind of what we're working towards. So I think that was probably about three minutes of me <laughs> rambling, but did that make sense? It did make sense. Let me just, let me just add a little bit first, just kind of stepping it up, uh, kind of more of a big picture. Um, the book, raise your inner game. It's, it's in two parts. The first part is how the inner game works. Mm-hmm. And that's just me trying to paint a clear picture as you've you know alluded to of what's actually happening in mm-hmm. our inner life uh, the inner game is really just our thoughts our emotions our physical state at any given moment so like i said that that thing that happened to me in 92 when i finally clicked and saw how things really worked this is my attempt at giving that a frame framework and a structure that can make it help you see it and understand mm-hmm. it and so you mentioned the four levels basically the observation is that when you look at our total self, there's really four main aspects to us. There's our physical self, our body, our senses, all that stuff. There's our emotional life. And you know what that's about, just how we feel. And then there's our intellectual life, which is our thoughts and our attention. So that's what we're, those are the three main aspects of ourselves, body, mind, uh, emotions. Then there's this other level I call level four, which is really, you can just think of that as when you, when you're at your absolute best. And we've all had this experience. It's not this distant metaphysical sign of magical kind of magical place. It's whenever you're doing something where you just feel more alive than any other time. And it's mm-hmm. not going to be the kind when you're chill. It's not like sitting on the couch watching TV. It's you're out in nature somewhere. That's a typical thing. Or you're doing something really, you know, kind of energetic, like playing ping pong or water skiing or mountain biking or some sort of fast paced activity where your attention has to really be on what you're doing. Um, Mm -hmm. some people have this experience listening to music or being with their kids. There's just those times when we feel most alive. So when you, that's what the level four experience sort of feels like. Um, I think it's accurate to describe it as us at our best Mm -hmm. and sort of the, the, the simple vision of what it means to raise your inner game is you just want to operate from that place as much as possible, which doesn't mean you always want to feel hyped up. Like when you're, you know, on your mountain bike or whatever you're doing. It really has to do with, when you break it down, it really has to do with your attention. Um, Are you present and engaged and focused on what's in front of you? Because that's the common thread of those experiences I mentioned. You're not off on your thoughts somewhere. You're not off worrying about something. You're not upset. You're not distracted by pain or being hungry or whatever. You're just fully present and engaged. That's the level four experience and the feeling. And the more you can come from that place in your daily life, the better off it's going to be in every way because you happen to think more clearly, you make better decisions, 
uh, you are more present with people, so your relationships improve. You're just you're just bringing your best self. So then those other three levels, the physical, emotional, and intellectual, they're aspects of ourselves, right? Again, my body, my emotions, my mind. Mm -hmm. So the mechanism, if that's the way to frame it, what happens when we're not in this level four place, and I touched on it a second ago, like I said, for example, you're not off in your thoughts somewhere. Well, often your thoughts somewhere means you're off on level three. Level three is the intellectual level. Mm -hmm. So, you know, the model is this four-story building, physical, emotional, intellectual level four. But the reality is when you're on level three, you're off in your thoughts somewhere. You're, you're thinking about something else rather than being here, focused on what's in front of you. When you're on level two, that's the emotional level. It means you're upset. You, you know, we all get so upset that it changes us. It changes what we say. It changes how we feel. It changes how we picture the world. Well, that's being on level two. And it's a natural experience. It's part of our lives. But when we're there, we're not thinking clearly. We're not being our level four self. Level one is the physical realm. So that's when we are, again, taken over sort of by that experience, that perspective. We're, we're so hungry. It's all we can think about. We're, mm -hmm. We got a bad back, woke up with this bad back this morning, and that pain has just got me in that place. And we've had that kind of experience. We've all, we recognize that where we're crabby, we're kind of depressed maybe. You know, there's a lot of things um, in the way we think and feel and see the world that are changed when we're wrapped up in the physical condition. And just by definition, when we're there, again, we're not up on level four, not being our best self. So that's the basic model uh, of level four and the four levels and the whole inner game framework thing. Uh, we want to be operating from level four as much as possible because that's when we're at our best. And these other aspects of ourselves pull us away from that. When we get triggered on one of these three, one of these three areas of ourselves, it pulls us into a different lower sort of state. So that's the basic picture that helps people get a handle on changing this. And you, when you recognize these things happening, you can start to see, oh, I'm on level two now. Let me snap out of that. So that helps. But the other big point you made, which I want to emphasize, because it's the most important point, is the one that I'm not my thoughts, that you're separate from all that. Mm -hmm. So there's, well, I'll just say it the way you said it. Again, it's in the book, but a, a great sort of thought exercise to do, a thought experiment to bring that to life for you is to just say what you said, which is, I have thoughts, but I'm not my thoughts. So mm -hmm. if you can sit and experience and just sit for a second, be quiet, and observe a thought come up, you know, okay, all of a sudden I'm thinking about lunch. And then, okay, I'm not thinking about lunch. Now I'm thinking about this phone call, this meeting coming up. Well, the fact that there's an observer tells you that you're separate from that. The observer is you. And the thoughts are coming up. They're coming up into your attention. It's like somebody called you on the phone. So there's two things there. Um, by the way, this whole idea of we are separate from our thoughts, there's two of us in there. In the intro you read of me, uh, for me, it said, had this strange, I forget what it said, transformational experience or something. Yeah. <laughs> this is the experience I'm talking about. At the time. Eating experience. At the time, uh, I'll just give a little short version of what that story was. Uh, it was the middle of the day, walking through my house, and I had the impulse to weigh myself. I just, strong thought, I wonder what I weigh right now. Which, you know, it's not on its face. It's not that weird. I was on a diet at the time. But I'd already weighed myself that morning. I weighed myself the night before. There was no need to weigh myself in the middle of the day. Mm -hmm. And the pull was strong enough. It was super strong. It's like, yeah, I really want to find out right now. So something about that made me go, huh, where is that coming from? And all of a sudden, I clicked and I perceived what we just talked about. There's like two of me in there. There's me over here observing that pull, saying, what the heck's going on? And there's some other thing inside me that's causing that pulse and you should weigh yourself right now. So that was my experience at the time. I thought of it as uh, my wizard of Oz moment. Cause it reminded me of that scene in the wizard of Oz when the mm. curtain comes back and all of a sudden you see the guy there and you understand, Oh, that's what's been going on. There's some mm. guy there. He's got these buttons and these levers. That's what's been going on. So that's what happened for me. But the same exact observation happened in a couple other famous instances. One is back in the seventies, a famous book called the inner game of tennis which is where the whole term inner game came from, by the way, it was from that mm -hmm. book. Okay. But so this guy was a tennis coach named Timothy Galway. And he was watching his players uh, beating themselves up after a bad performance. They're like, God, what's wrong with you? What, you know, why are you such a loser? Right. Self-talk. 
And all of a sudden he had the same sort of click and he's like, wait, who are they talking to? <laughs> there are two people in there. Yeah. Right. Same thing. Eckhart Tolle, famous new age uh, author, the power of now. He had this moment of really profound crisis. It was almost a suicidal moment for him where he said to himself, I can't, I just can't live with myself anymore. But then he had that same observation. Wait a second. There's two people there. There's the yeah. I, and there's the one who says, I can't live with, you know, you see what I'm saying, right? Yeah. So the point is that observation that you pointed out, there's a, I have thoughts, but I'm not my thoughts. I'm separate from that. That is the foundational observation that everything else grows from. The more you can get that, that's what changed my life. That's what changed uh, Eckhart's and Timothy Galway's. And that's why that's kind of the biggest point of part one of the book. The more you can get that, and not just intellectually, but the more you can like goosebump experience, oh my God, there's somebody there. The more everything else works, the more you get control over these processes and mechanisms. Yeah. So uh all of that kind of tells me then that we have essentially the ultimate control. There's all these things flying in and out. There's thoughts, there's emotions, there's feelings, there's our bodies, there's all that stuff. But it really comes down to us to decide what we want to do with it. And in some cases, those outside forces or the that second person that we're talking about, we get to the point where we relinquish control to that. And so we basically say, these impulses are me. So therefore, if it comes through, that's what my will is. That's what I want to do. And therefore I will, uh, I will just automatically do those things. And then what happens is we turn around and we find ourselves in a situation where we don't want to be. And we're like, how did we get here? Well, we were constantly following all of those impulses. I think you call it like an inner gravity. We, we follow those things as opposed to, uh, really taking control and deciding, which things we're going to do and which things that we're not going to do. And so as you were talking about that, I thought about the word willpower and willpower, I believe is basically you have these thoughts and you use that willpower to either resist those thoughts or to, uh, to, uh, set a new course and do something different. It's that it's the, uh, the strength that you have to resist those things or to do something in spite of those things. And so use like kind of using that in your mindset when you're having those thoughts of I'm not good enough. I'm not a, I'm a failure. I'm these other things. Those are just thoughts that are coming in. That doesn't necessarily mean that's who you are. Or when you're having those thoughts of, I can't lose weight. I can't run a marathon. I can't be successful at this job. Those are just thoughts coming in, but you have the ability to rise above those things it's just you have to decide and recognize through the framework that this is this is my emotional level this is my intellectual level speaking this is these are all these other things that are happening and i need to i have the control i don't have to relinquish control to these things maybe i'm programmed right now to do that and so kind of getting into the latter part of the inner game is uh, i think how you regain control of of that process and when you can actually use those uh, use those tools and use those concepts uh, in everyday instances, you actually start to uh, begin to regain power from those thoughts flying in back and forth. You have an ex exercise a little bit further on in the book um, that on the surface, if you just read it, you're just like, all right, well, I, I resisted that. And so now I got to celebrate that. That just seems really, really silly to me. But if you go a little deeper into it, you're realizing that you're actually strengthening that willpower, those muscles to resist that stuff. So when it is a, something that you don't want to do, like I think your instance was drinking a Coke, uh, you're resisting that ability to drink a Coke. You've already resisted doing five or six other small things that did, didn't really matter. But when you get to the instance where something does matter, you have more mental strength and more mental willpower to stay away from that. And that's the stuff that will give you that incremental growth to where you take more and more control of uh, the decisions that you make those. Um, uh, I think you call it sleepwalking, uh, get away from sleep, sleepwalking uh, and gravity and more towards uh, being in control to where you can focus yourself more towards being in that level four state of mind. Does that make, am I, am oh, exactly I uh, right? Okay. The first thing is to understand, as you've said, that we tend to do all of this stuff unconsciously. 
that's the kind of the, the second corollary of that that yeah. framework of there's there's three levels and we move you know we find ourselves on level two we're all emotional or we're off in our head somewhere or we're distracted by our hunger those that shift from one state to another happens completely unconsciously normally a thought pops into your head and off you go that's what you're thinking about you can mm -hmm. the perfect example is you're you're talking to somebody trying to listen to them and all of a sudden you realize you're off talk thinking about something else right you didn't mm -hmm. intentionally go over there the thought came up and it pulled you over there when an emotion comes up it just takes over so all of these things happen unconsciously sleepwalking is a good term for it and sort of the fundamental shift of raising your inner game is starting to just be intentional about it. And the first step of that is to start to recognize what's happening. And the second is to start to be intentional about it. Resist where you need to. And if it's a negative impulse, resist. If it's a positive one, go with it. But that difference, mm -hmm. that fundamental difference. Yeah, I, I love how we're talking about this because, um, I mean, the book goes in a lot more detail. It kind of dives into every every part of it. So, and that's that's why I want to encourage people to check it out. The, and yeah. the thing that I really like about the book is, uh, even though it took me a long time to read it, it's very digestible. It's something that you can read really quickly, um, yeah. and then it. But it's something you can go back to too. So it's very simplified, right to the point. You read it, and you're like, okay, that's what I need to do. Kind of go back to it, and and it's almost like it becomes a reference point for you, for. Like, all right, these instances, I was able to overcome these things. I, I was thinking about it, but now I'm in a little bit bigger situation and I'm struggling again. You can go back to it and you can digest the, the book real quickly with that. But having that, that control, having that self-awareness uh, really helps you throughout the entire, uh, uh, entire leadership journey and success journey. Because when you start turning off those... Um, those every thought that you have you take action on and being more intentional with the things that you're doing you're going to be a lot more focused you're going to be a lot more productive and you're going to be able to consciously uh, consciously uh do a lot more things it's kind of like have you heard of the uh Pom pomodoro technique mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. absolutely and so the pomodoro technique ties in a lot to this because you're you're saying no to all these different thoughts coming in you're basically saying for 25 minutes i'm going to be super laser focused on this one thing and I'm not going to do anything else. And then I'm going to reward myself afterwards. And that really ties in very closely to this because um, it's giving you a practical step that you can take that that will program your mind to focus, to start saying no to all those distractions and thoughts and separate you from all. Because it's not just thoughts. It's going to be emotions and it's going to be your physical body hunger. It'll be all those other things, yep. but you'll find that as you strengthen that focus muscle, you're going to, you're going to accomplish so much more. Yeah, that's exactly right. And there's a few things you mentioned I wanted to touch on first that Pomodoro technique. I love that. I do a similar thing, uh, 50 minute blocks, but here's the really funny thing to me. And it does work great by the way. It totally does. The idea with that is you're blocking out the external distractions, right? You're turning off mm -hmm. your phone. You're not checking your email, whatever. Um, super helpful, but Here's the thing, most people, so you shut all that stuff down and you sit down to work and 90 seconds later, you're checking your email, mm -hmm. right? The biggest distractions we struggle with aren't external, they're internal. We think they're external. We're like, oh God, if I could just block out some time and it does help, but chances are, unless you've learned to sort of observe these inner processes and get a handle on them, you're going to be just almost just as distracted just from your own, uh, like you say, the, the impulses, the emotions and the thoughts that come up. Mm -hmm. But another thing I wanted to say was you said, you know, when you're not aware that it's separate from you, you just think it's you. Oh, well, you know, I'm, I'm going to have that Coke or I'm going to not do the work I'm going to do or whatever. The other part of that that's so powerful for people is that we think, okay, so I'm a loser. Mm -hmm. I really am not strong. I'm a weak person. I don't have the focus. I don't have the willpower and the self-control I need to be successful. And that is a really dangerous and false thing to think. When you get clear on this idea we're talking about, that there's two of us in there, again, back to me and the guy behind the curtain, right? Um, all of a sudden, I wanted to weigh myself. If I had done what we tend to do unconsciously, I would have gone and weighed myself, right? And that would have been the thing. But I was able to see, oh no, here I am over here, and here's this other guy, again, just like he's picking up the phone and calling me and saying, you should weigh yourself right now. 
So when you keep that dynamic in mind, there's two of us. Mm-hmm. It doesn't make any sense for that to happen. The guy calls me and says, you know what? You really should have those chips right now. And for me to conclude from that, I'm a loser. Mm-hmm. You're not a loser for having these impulses and desires mm-hmm. and thoughts come up. It's no different than if you had an allergy to pollen. Okay. When, if, if there's a lot of pollen in the air, I start sneezing. I don't feel like I'm a loser for that. I think, oh, I've got, I'm, I'm allergic and there's pollen in the air. Right. Mm-hmm. When, when we're tired, when there's a lot of stress in our lives, these are sort of the emotional internal allergies triggers that we have <laughs> allergens in our lives. And we get stressed out and we start to, you know, not do the things we thought we would do. We get weaker with our will and all that. It's not a statement about our strength of character. It's merely an observation about the mechanisms of our inner game. So that's a really important thing for people to get. It speaks to what you said. It's our choice. It's totally our choice what to do with that. But don't mm-hmm. let yourself think there's something wrong with you in the first place for having those impulses that aren't really what you want to do. Yeah. Um, another thing I want to point out that's really powerful about this, this technique. Um, so as a specific example of a technique, okay, so we've talked about our thoughts come up and then we just kind of unconsciously go with them. I'm sitting there, I'm trying to do some work and all of a sudden I'm wondering about Sunday's game, the Packer game, I'm in Wisconsin. So I'm wondering about that. So the thought came up and it took my attention away. Okay. Um, the counter to that with the raise your inner game model we're talking about where I'm aware of it and I shut it down. I just literally say, no, we're not going to think about that. It's just like, there's a guy there and he says, Hey, let's think about the game. And you say, Nope, not now we're focused on this. That's Mm -hmm. all it takes. It's all the technique takes. But the thing that's so beautiful about it, a couple of things that are so beautiful about it is one, it's super fast. I mean, it takes no time. It takes no effort. Once you kind of click into this mode, it, you know, a lot of times people, when they're trying to improve their lives, they think, oh God, do I have time to learn some new thing? Can I remember all the stuff to do? It's just so self-evident and instantaneous. Once you click into that mode, you're like, here's the thought. Oh, not going there. But here's mm-hmm. the other piece that's really uh, powerful about it. And I don't get into this much in the book. Think about some of the emotional things. Um, I'm a loser is a thought you might have or a feeling, sort of combined feeling thought you might have. I'm no good. I, I don't, des- I'm not lovable. I'm, you know what I mean? I'm a fraud. Those are the kind of negative emotional thoughts we have. Um, some of them can be even more profound, the kind of things that would come up from your childhood or things you might go to therapy for. The normal with other kinds of self-help material you'll come across, motivational stuff, inspirational things, books you'll read. The normal way we counter negative thoughts and emotions is with positive ones. So you'll find yourself thinking, God, I'm a loser. I, I don't know what I'm doing. And you will counter that with another argument. You know what? No, you really, you're great. You, you know, you've done fine. You know, whatever the counter perspective will be. Basically, you're engaging in a debate. Yes? Yeah. That seems familiar? Yeah. So that's mm-hmm. the normal way we approach these kind of things. And it can be helpful, but it can also be exhausting. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, at the very beginning, we said that the real essence of everything we're talking about here is, is your attention fully here on what's in front of you or are you off somewhere else in your thoughts, in your emotions, in your physical state? When you are struggling with a negative emotion and you are countering it with a positive emotion, it's good to counter it, but you're still in your head. Mm -hmm. You're still wrapped up in your thinking. But when you can just, instead of engaging with it, when that guy calls you on the phone and says, you really are a loser, you know that, right? You just say, Mm-mm, nope, we're not having that conversation. And you just stop. And that snaps you up to level four. When you're engaged in this inner struggle, you're still not on level four. Does that make sense? It's sort of a funny little difference to try and point out. Think of it this way. Um, you're, tr- you're using the Pomodoro technique. You're trying to work on writing up an article or a report or whatever you're doing. And all of a sudden you notice that these thoughts are coming up. You don't know what you're doing. You're no good at this. They're going to find out. So you could get into that place and be debating back and forth with this guy who's telling you all this stuff. And while you're doing that, you're not here. You're not focused on your writing. You're not in that creative 
present state. So the ability to just go, no, stop, not now, and focus, it's, it's provides it's a tremendous relief um, from these kinds of emotional struggles we have. You just turn it off. You just say, mm -hmm. no, we're not having it. And, you know, it'll come up again five minutes later and you say, no, we're not having it. And, and if it's the kind of thing that comes up so much that you still find yourself, it's just too much, then you decide to go talk to somebody about it. But yeah. there's a whole huge world of issues that we deal with and struggle with day in, day out, that we can just completely free ourselves from by just learning how to observe this mechanism when it comes up and we shut it off. The third thing, I know I'm rambling, uh, I'm talking about a lot of stuff here, but the third thing you mentioned was willpower and how these little things lead to the big thing, the big strength. Um, super powerful point, super important point. Because, and here was the big observation that, that led me to this. The mechanism of being present or not is the exact same, whether it's with a tiny struggle or a huge struggle. If I'm addicted to smoking, for example, if I'm a smoker, I'm not, but if I am, the mechanism that makes me go, I need a cigarette right now, is it's a physical impulse, probably. There's this physical craving. There's going to be an emotional component to it. Those, those big addictions are, are very complex with the many layers of what pulls on you. So there's the physical impulse. There's an emotional, I, I just really feel like I need it. I just really got to have it. Maybe a social element of that. Then there's the whole intellectual piece where it's, you know, making the case it's okay to have this one, even though I told myself I wasn't going to. Those, the mechanism of that is exactly the same when I uh, compare to the smallest possible thing, where I am walking through my office and there's a scrap of paper on the floor and I get the impulse to pick it up, but I also feel this kind of resistance. No, it's, too much, not, your, it's not your mess. It's too much trouble. And I say, no, shut up. I'm fine. I'm going to pick it up. The mechanism is exactly the same. It's, it's, I'm not saying that very well, but when you can start to recognize these small little moments in our lives when we make these unconscious choices, the teeniest little things, it's just like going to the gym and lifting weights. You start with a small weight, but the movement is the same. You start with just an empty bar, but you're lifting it and you learn how to do it and you get stronger and stronger and stronger and then at some point you realize you have the strength, you develop the strength to handle the biggest struggles you have in your life. <laughs> that was a long little uh, monologue there, but it was all from things I heard you say. This, the idea of, you know, we, we blame ourselves for having, for feeling these pulls in the first place, um, let go of that, that learning to do these little things and moving into the bigger ones, we, it's, it's, a, it's a tremendous boost to our willpower, which is something most people don't think they can do. Most people think, you know, you can't rely on willpower. Um, it, it, you'll hear that all the time. You can't trust your willpower to make changes in your life. Well, you absolutely can. There's nothing you can trust besides your willpower to make changes in your life. The problem is we don't have, if we try to make a change that we can't do, it's because our willpower wasn't strong enough to overcome the pull in that particular situation. But by using these techniques in the book and practicing with the smaller things, you can strengthen your will and get better and better. And it's transformational in your life. One of the things that I really wanted to dig into with um, level four, because we talk about level four as being something that you really want to attain. It's, 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 and you, you, you likened it to uh, riding a mountain bike or listening to music or uh, kind of doing something um, where you're present in the moment. Um, but I wanted to kind of see if it's possible to be at a level four in, uh, in your job, in, in, in the, the thing that you're, that you're kind of your purpose. Cause I, I kind of think of level four as being something that gives you life that you're energized when you're doing. And those are some of the, the clues that we kind of tap into with like finding your purpose, what you're good at, what your gifts are. And so I, I kind of want to get an idea from you, like what level four looks like maybe in the workplace or maybe in uh, an entrepreneurial role or, 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 or something along those lines. So uh, can you kind of better explain uh, level four outside of a um, more of an observation thing, but more of a operating in, in your strengths type of thing? Absolutely. Just to clarify, when I talk about the mountain biking or listening to music or being outside and those kind of things. 
the point with those illustrations is, well, there's two. One is that this experience that we're calling level four, uh, the state, I guess, is mm -hmm. something that people are already familiar with in their lives. It's not something they have to develop and aspire to coming to at the end of some long process. It's already a part of our lives. We just need to learn to access it intentionally. That's the big one of the big points there. The other one is, and this is where it gets a little bit confusing, but it, it's nice we have a chance to clear it up. The real essence of those moments is comes back to the attention factor we talked about before. The real essence of level four is the simplest thing in the world. It is your attention. Are you here paying attention, fully present with what you're doing, or are you off on one of these other levels? Are you off in your thoughts somewhere on level three? Are you off in your emotions somewhere on level two? Or are you off in your physical state on level one? That's mm. really the essence of level four. So it absolutely is something you can access in your normal daily work life. That's the whole point of it, really, is to mm. access it in our normal activities. So you ask what that might look like. You're in a meeting and you find yourself doing what we do. We start checking out, right? Yeah. So you notice that you bring yourself back. That's it. You are, you're having a conversation with somebody and you catch yourself off again, thinking about what you're going to say next or whatever. You can recognize that or if you hear yourself getting upset or defensive at something they're saying, you can just say, oh, mm -mm, no, let's just keep listening. And so in that listening, you now are able to actually respond. You're not just being this sort of neutral, non-responsive you know, blob. You're actually more responsive because you're actually paying attention more completely. And when you do, when they do finish and you come up with something to say, you're going to have something that's more insightful and more helpful and more genuine and present. Um, if you're trying to work on some creative work, it's... This whole thing we're talking about is just profoundly clear when you observe sort of the creative process. So mm -hmm. I am trying to write an email and it's sort of an important email. And I'm number one, I'm just getting distracted. So I see my email come up and I go over and check that. So I, my, my whole attention, my whole creative energy shifts away from this. By the way, one thing I talk about in the book to do really good creative work, and by good, I just mean quality, just to bring your full creative capacity to whatever. And I don't mean art creativity. I just mean problem solving. I mean, I got to figure out a way to say this thing. I got, you know, whatever it is, any sort of problem solving to do your truly best work takes unbroken focus time. Mm -hmm. The metaphor I have in the book is a pond. Uh, if you can picture the a pond. And if the wind is blowing and the surface of the pond is agitated, you can't see deep into the water. You're, you're, what you can see is limited to the surface. You can only see down into the water when the water gets still. Mm -hmm. So the, the analogy is meant to talk about our creative, our intuitive, innovative sort of aspects. When we are letting ourselves always be distracted by either the external things or our own thoughts just drifting around, it's like that irritated, agitated water. We don't get to the, the deep original ideas. We stay kind of on the surface and get the obvious simplistic sort of answers. You need to, to get to your best stuff. You need to be able to quiet this noise, just quiet the stuff and just listen for what comes up. And that's my experience when I'm writing, whether it's music or words or whatever I'm working on, I'm cranking away. I've got the idea. I, you know, formulate it as best I can. You look at it, you read it, and it's not quite there. And you just, and it just happens in a moment, but you just get quiet internally and listen for what comes up. All of our creative ideas bubble up from our sub, sub, subconscious. That's literally yeah. how the mechanism works. They appear in our thoughts and we have to give them a chance to do that. We have to quiet the noise generator down a little bit and just listen for that next one. So that's the whole creativity, uh, problem-solving, idea generation aspect of work is just hugely um, relevant to this question of how you can bring this level four into your daily work. Another little example would be 
you know, something goes wrong at work. And naturally, this comes back to the whole QBQ thing. Mm-hmm. Our instinctive reaction is to get upset, right? To start, what the hell? Who, you know, who did this? Well, you know, all <laughs> that blaming stuff. Well, um, if you can just recognize that caught up and saying, nope, uh-uh. Okay, so what's what's really going on? QBQ is actually very well aligned with this raise your inner game. It's yeah. just a little more specific um, aspect of it, but it's still very much about this self-awareness and intentionally deciding where you want to go, what kind of person you want to be and bring your full attention to what's in front of you. So those are some things that come to mind for me. What's some examples you think of um, like work situations where you wonder how this might apply? Well, the first thing I was thinking of is uh, this completely flies in the face of multitasking. I mean, it absolutely kills that idea. And I think that's a good thing because I think some people like to think that they're good at multitasking and there's some, maybe there be certain roles that you can do where maybe it's not as important uh, to do certain tasks uh, with your full attention. Like you can, you can do uh, multiple things at once and flow in and out of those things. I think that is a gift for some people, but I think when you're really wanting to get into the quality, like like what you're talking about, or you're doing a deep dive in creativity, that's when you do need to be laser focused. And so that, that, that definitely resonates with me there because, and the, the, the pond analogy is perfect. I love that. Cause I remember reading that going, oh, that makes so much sense. There's all this noise. And if you can calm all of that, you can see uh, so much more detail and so many more things. And it's actually that much more um, exciting for you because it, like uh, your imagination starts going and you start looking actively searching for things. And so it really, it really kind of drives a lot of that stuff. I wanted to talk about level four because I feel like level four really ties into attention. Yes, but it's also, it's a clue for us when we're finding those things that we are laser focused on, uh, that, that actually we don't mind going 10 levels deeper into. Those are things that are, that we're passionate about. Those are things that, um, are, I would say are a strength for you, um, in terms of, managing people or creating a system or creating a product, inventing something or whatever those things. I find that sometimes when you're drifting in that meeting or you're drifting in that conversation, you're drifting towards uh, what you're passionate about. And so it's it's the thing that does give you life. Uh, we have days when we go and we work and we come home and we're absolutely drained. But if you were to actually look, you didn't do hard labor you were just drained because you were doing all these things that don't bring life to you, that don't excite you. You have to do them. They're, they're part of your job, but they're things that you actually have to do. Now, on the other side of that, you'll talk to somebody and they're like, man, I feel, I feel so energized. I've been, I worked all night on this thing and I, and I wanted to keep going, but I knew I had to sleep. That's when they, people talk about like, I've never worked a day in my life because I'm doing what I love. They're honed in on their I would say in some capacity, level four, because their attention is solely focused on that because they're passionate about it. And when you're able to jump in and 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 hone into those things uh, and you are consciously finding, uh, you know, staying out of the emotional part, staying out of, of the physical part and going into like, what are those things that are, that gets me to level four so I, that it's easy for me to be focused and I don't necessarily have those distractions. Those are the things that I want you to lean into because especially as a young business leader or just a young leader trying to figure out like, what am I good at? What are my strengths? Those are those clues that we're talking about that are really helping to guide you towards maybe this is your career path. Maybe this is uh, something that you're truly passionate about. Try to find a career, try to find a job or uh, a hobby or whatever that will ignite those things. Because when you're fulfilled in those areas, it overflows then to the other stuff. And you're able to carry through that mundane stuff, the stuff that drains you a little bit, your tank's already full. So it doesn't matter to you. You're willing to do the accounting because it gives you the ability to create the, the creative campaign. You're willing to do uh, the janitorial work. You're willing to, you know, some people just love talking in front of people. I love talking in front of people. I don't like the preparation part, but I'm willing to do the preparation part because of the life it gives me on the other end. And so when I'm when I'm out there speaking and I know that there's connecting with an audience, I'm 100% in that level four. So much so that I almost feel like a, a an observer just kind of watching what's going on and just and just like being present in that moment, being like, this is really cool. This is awesome. And I don't have to think about what my next words are going to be. I'm thinking about enjoying what I'm actually doing. So I think that ties into what you're saying. No, it's really great. I love that. I do have a slightly different take on it. I think, um, 
but it's not like contrary. It's just sort okay. of uh, related and tangent. And what it is is that I think we struggle a little too much with this idea, you know, God, I still haven't found my thing. I still mm. haven't found my passion, my calling. Um, I mean, obviously we want to do that. And everything you said is exactly right, that when you do get into that, you do find the work that just lights you up. That's a beautiful thing. But my experience is that, especially when you start to pay attention to these things that we've been talking about, um, you can find fulfillment and joy in a lot more work than you might imagine. Absolutely. You know, you mentioned you're in the meeting and you're drifting off daydreaming towards the thing that you're really drawn to. That could be the case. I'm guessing more of the time, it's just distraction. It's just negative stuff and it's just noise. And the more you can learn how to really be present, to, to turn off those things and just be engaged in things, there is a lot of life and excitement and joy and creativity and value to be brought to whatever you're doing. But here's an example. As you were talking, I hadn't, uh, I hadn't thought of this for myself in a long time, but I waited tables like around that 1992 period I talk about in the book. Um, I waited tables for a long time, like seven years or so. I worked in restaurants, cooking and waiting tables. And um, there was a long period where I really loved it. It was, it was fun. It was energized. It felt very alive. And it is pretty yeah. exciting. can be pretty exciting work. And I was able to really be in it and be present and just feel energized by it. And then after a while, you remember my background was always a musician. And that's a, that was my primary identity for my entire life. Um, so during a lot of time, uh, I was doing both during that period. I was, you know, waiting tables and playing in bands. But in the last couple, three years of waiting in tables, it, it started to tip just a little bit. It's like the things it was costing me in my identity, in my sense of satisfaction and purpose were starting to not, were starting to outweigh what it was giving me in just the joy of the experience of it. Mm -hmm. So, and then at that point, after that went on for a while, I kept looking at that and saying, you know what? I just can't keep doing this. It, this is now becoming sort of a lower level trigger for me. This is continuing in this position is now turning me into a person I don't want to be anymore. Mm -hmm. So I would say in, if you're in a position, if you're in a job that, you know, it's not your big passion or whatever, you're not making this huge impact in the world that you think you might and you're drawn to doing, I wouldn't give yourself too much. I wouldn't put make that too big of a problem right now. I would first work on just seeing if you can work on just being present in things and and raising your inner game in general and just feeling more alive because you can definitely do that no matter what your situation. And then, you know, start to evaluate it at that other level where, okay, now that I figured out how to get my inner game kind of going, I can generally keep myself where I want to be, this new sort of higher place. Now you can start to evaluate, you know, if this if this situation is really keeping me from being the kind of person I want to be, now it's time to look to make another change. And the change won't necessarily be, you won't instantly go, oh, I know, I know what my thing is now, right? Yeah. You can you can kind of follow your, your interests. I'm clear where I'm not at now is not going to work for me anymore. I've got to find something else. So then just what sounds like it might be enlivening? and something that you could find some satisfaction and joy and energy in, and then go into it with an experimental mindset. Let's just see how that one goes. Let's see how that feels and go there. And again, try and bring your whole self to it and see how it fits in your life. And then you can evaluate. You don't, th this, this sense that we have in, in the culture of, you know, we all have a big thing to do and to contribute. And if we haven't discovered it, we're not really doing what we need to do. I think that adds an unnecessary burden to us in a lot of ways. Um, there are a lot, a lot of lives out there. Most lives out there, you know, the, the beautiful, rich, full life is just you and the people in your life and you're being there with them and you're doing work that's, you know, you can find the value in it and it's not this big grand thing. And by, by having this image out there that we all have some big grand thing um, waiting for us, I think it keeps us from, it keeps us frustrated unnecessarily. It keeps us um, not appreciating maybe what's in front of us a lot of times. So I would, I would really recommend just doing this inner work first and then sort of trusting your, 
again, you're sort of taking a temperature of, of how much is it costing you? How much is it giving you? And kind of following that path as you maybe choose other options. Was there anything more you want to talk about level four? Oh, that was the first thing that came up, right? I asked you and you said, oh, you thought about it sort of in the strength finder. No, I think that, I think that kind of covers it. What I want to do is I kind of want to take this uh, last opportunity to give you an, uh, an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. I always give my guests uh, a, a chance to give their message to young business leaders because that's who the audience is and that's who is uh, tuning in here. There are people in that entrepreneurial journey, in that leadership journey who are trying to get better. They, they realize that maybe they don't have all the answers and maybe they think they do and I'm going to hopefully convince them that they don't. But I always want the guests to kind of uh, take a moment and kind of reflect on maybe your leadership journey or, or if, if you were to speak to yourself, you know, 10, 15 years ago, what would you say? Well, that's a good question. The first thing I would say is what I mentioned earlier, which is stop beating yourself up for the struggle you're feeling or the negative thoughts and emotions and impulses you have, the things that pull you off track. Stop taking those as a mark against your character because that just takes a huge load off. But then really the biggest message, you know, the title of the book, Raise Your Inner Game, is when you when you read it on the book cover and you see it in that context, it sounds sort of like a how-to. And I mean it that way. Here's some things you can do to raise your inner game. But by the time you get to the end of the book, you get to um, my more complete feelings on it, which is as a call to action. If you are the kind of person who, you know, is into self-improvement and you probably wouldn't be listening to this if you weren't, <laughs> um, you know, you've tried things, you, you, you know, you can be better. You want to be better. You're still not where you want to be. You need to engage with your inner game, your inner life. In the same way you would gain, uh, you would engage with your physical life. If you were an athlete, if you were an athlete, some sort of peak performer, you would do specific things to be stronger and fitter and more capable. You'd build your skills, you'd build your capabilities. You really need to take a similar approach with your inner life. You need to find yeah. ways to engage intentionally with your thoughts, your emotions and your impulses because i can tell you this that in every area of your life the gap between where you are right now and where you imagine you could be has to do with your inner game it, it when you could and and the other thing i want to say is it's so simple it's more yeah. simple than you will believe once you get into it the fact is but we're just not into it we're just not trained to think about our inner life in a practical specific sort of tactical way but once you do, you won't believe how easy it is. But until you do, you're just not going to be the person you can be, just by definition. This, this inner work, and you see this with people kind of at an elite level. When you get to you know high-level performers, whether it's in finance or or entertainment or sports or you know the military, whatever, these people all know that the difference uh, to get to their best performance, it's all about the inner game. That's where the difference lies. So that's my biggest message to people is just, just raise your inner game. Just, just start to think about your inner life and start to engage in it and start to pay attention to it and start to be intentional with it. And by the way, let me just make this little offer. Um, the book now is available for free. Um, you just got to pay shipping and handling. It's like $7 for shipping and handling, but you can get the book for free. It's a short read. Uh, as we said, it takes you less than two hours to read it. You also get an extra little additional free training along with it. I would really encourage you to take this opportunity. Even if you're a, an ebook person, having the hardcover in your hand, it's got its own particular impact to it. So mm -hmm. come to my site, davidlevin.com, or you can go straight to raiseyourinnergame.com. Just one word, raiseyourinnergame.com. Um, pick up a copy of the book. We'll get it to you in a few days. And it's going to help you like nothing else has. <laughs> well, David, thank you for taking the time to speak directly to my audience, to share some of the, the things that you've learned through raising your inner game and uh, audience. Be sure to check that out. I'll put those links 
in the uh, the show notes so you can click on them and you can go directly to and get your own copy of Raise Your Inner Game. Uh, like I said, I read it. As you can tell, I, I really enjoyed the book. Between that and, and QBQ, I think those are two fantastic tools to help you on your leadership journey. Uh, listeners, remember, choose to connect, seek development, and be inspired. We'll catch you on the next podcast. Young businessmen, thank you for listening. I hope you've enjoyed this podcast. And if you'd like to learn more about the Young Businessmen of Tulsa, check out our website at www.ybtok.com or email us at ybtoklahoma at gmail.com. If you live in the Tulsa area and would like to hear one of our great speakers live at our monthly luncheon, we meet on the second Monday of every month from 12 to 1 p.m. Like us on Facebook for details about locations and upcoming speakers. Lastly, if you like what you hear, please leave us a review on iTunes and share us with your friends. Thank you for tuning in to the Young Businessmen of Tulsa podcast, where we connect, develop, and inspire young businessmen to find and pursue their purpose.